Welcome to the latest economic snapshot from Don't Waste a Good Recession. I'm International Business Advisor Jacob Aldridge, here doing what I do, helping business owners, primarily with between two and 500 staff, who are looking for the courage to build the outrageous enterprise that will support their outrageous dream life. If you want to help a business right now, one of the easiest things to do from where you're sitting and watching this, listening to this, if you're on YouTube or your podcast platform, hit like, hit subscribe. If you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, social media, hit share, add a comment, pass this around to your network and get this positive and practical information further afield so that there are more business owners who are feeling confident, who do have the courage to continue growing, driving their business, regardless of the economic circumstances that we are all experiencing. This is the first of the monthly economic snapshots. We shifted at the end of June from weekly to monthly, so that we weren't getting too caught up in the noise. That means this will be a little bit longer than the last few snapshots, but that's because we're also going to be sure to include a so what element to each of the economic indicators that we're looking at. It's not just the data, it's what does that actually mean for your business. And wherever you are in the world, and I get great comments from around the world, so I know that there are people who are watching far afield from where I'm stuck during the coronavirus pandemic, you can go looking for the specific local data for you and apply that to some of these so what information to know what you need to be doing in your business today, tomorrow, and for the coming month. A reminder, here are the four economic indicators that we look at every time. The number of active COVID-19 cases, the share market performance, unemployment rates, and GDP growth, or frankly, lack thereof. We primarily look at the UK, the US, and Australia. That's where most of my viewers and listeners are based. However, if you are in another country, you want me to include it, please just shoot me a message and let me know. Let's jump straight into it. Active COVID-19 cases for the month of July 2020. There has been a lot of talk in the media about fear of a second wave. Now, clearly, if we track the number of people who are actively infected with this disease on a global scale, just the chart you can see there, the first wave hasn't even ended. The number of active cases is almost at the end of July, 6 million people uh, and more than 680,000 dead. And those numbers have continued to increase. If anything, the rate of increase, the percentage increase of active cases has accelerated over the past month. However, we'll get to a little brief analysis. One of the relevant factors is that if fewer people are dying of COVID-19, then they will remain an active case. One way you stop having the disease is if you succumb to the disease. And so there may be an element of good news in some of those accelerating active case numbers. Let's jump into a couple of those major countries, major economies. Uh, the US, if you squint, looking at uh, active cases, daily new cases uh, in the US, you could call it a second wave. We actually had one single week, just one week, where active cases in the USA declined. Uh, it was steady for a while through June, uh, and then really this past month through July of 2020, uh, those active cases and the daily new cases have both accelerated. Caution fatigue, which we discussed in the last video, last economic snapshot at the end of June, 
was leading a lot of people to feel that they've spent three months in lockdown, surely that must be enough. Well, if you look at the growth in new cases, whether it's a second wave or an acceleration of the first wave, we can really see that no, that was not enough. An interesting data point, according to the CDC, on average over the last decade in the USA, 37,500 people die from influenza every year. Uh, influenza isn't tracked as closely as COVID-19. There's some assumptions that need to be made in that. Uh, and that range varies. Uh, one year, there were only 12,000 deaths in the US, uh, another over 60,000. But on average, over the last decade, 37,500 flu deaths in the USA every year. Uh, the US, at the end of July, went over 150,000 COVID-19 deaths in four months. And that's with all of the precautions, such as they are in different states. So 37,500 annual, 150,000 in four months. Uh, and America continues to lead the world in so many measurements of how this disease is spreading. But you can't say you weren't warned. From this day forward, it's going to be only America first. America first. We move to the UK now. Uh, now, the UK has been, as regular viewers of my economic snapshots will remember, playing a bit of silly buggers with some of the data. Uh, at a few points, uh, they have changed. Um, at the beginning of July, uh, they reclassified down about 30,000 cases. Uh, so uh, if you factor that into the calculations, then active COVID-19 cases in the UK for the month of July were up about 7%. However, if we look at it overall, and the chart I've got here on the video is of total deaths in the UK, which really exemplifies this, that for the past few months, the data in the UK has been very flat. This doesn't mean that the disease is going away. If you have a similar number of active cases, it means that for every one person who's recovering or dying, another one person is contracting the disease. It's not going away, but it's also not accelerating like we just saw in the US and like we continue to see on a global scale. So that's good news. At the end of July, the UK government postponed their initial plans to ease, further ease some of the lockdown restrictions in the UK. That will obviously have you know, a detrimental effect on some businesses, on livelihoods. Uh, it does stem from uh, their feeling that obviously these numbers aren't declining. The fact that they have continued to be quite flat is very, very encouraging for all of my UK clients and friends. Now, this is what a second wave looks like. This is Australia. You may recall in early June, uh, I was looking at the Australian trend and I was talking about the fact that following that trend, Australia could actually get to the point where we were, uh, we being the, the country that I'm living in this year, we could get to the point where there is zero active community cases of COVID-19 across all of Australia. Uh, still some returning travellers, uh, repatriation uh, in quarantine. The disease wasn't going to be completely absent from Australian shores, but that lack of community transmission meant that uh, most lockdown precautions could be removed. It's believed that all of this current spike, which is now worse, we're getting more active daily cases, um, more deaths than we did during the initial spike when COVID-19 first started to make it into the Australian community. All of those are believed to stem from a single breach of quarantine in Melbourne, which has led to me quoting uh, one of my favourite radio hosts, Spencer Housen, who once famously said, 
You can always tell a Victorian, but you can't tell him much. Of course, thoughts are with my Victorian colleagues, clients, friends. Uh, it is largely isolated there, but not completely. Uh, and here where I am in Queensland, you know, it's the situation where one or two cases popping up are cause for concern. Now, if you're looking at some of those UK, US global numbers, uh, most countries would love to have the data that we've got here. However, we are, and especially as a business community here in Queensland, where I am, very, very much uh, treating it as something that is not a major factor. There's cars on the road, work is being done, people are in offices, people are going and getting haircuts and going out to dinner and all of these things. Uh, and so in many ways, emotionally, our livelihood is back like it was in February, March, when things hadn't actually kicked off. Uh, a lot of cause for concern. The good news, such as it is, if we look at Australia and Australia being, uh, as we had that dry period of uh, limited new cases, uh, is a good test bed for comparing some of these things. Active COVID-19 cases in Australia for the month of July were up 733%. Deaths only doubled during that month, only doubled, of course, uh, you know, if we're looking at this as data and not thinking about the individual effect. Uh, now, uh, so up 700%, only up 100%. Of course, uh, more than half of those new cases came in the last two weeks of July. Uh, that's just the spread of a disease when you're going through a wave. So some of those people who had the disease at the end of July, uh, possibly even by the time you're watching this video, will have passed. Uh, but it is part of a wider trend that we're seeing in other countries, other economies, where even where the number of active cases is still high or is increasing, the number of deaths, the percentage, the case fatality rate uh, is much lower than when the pandemic began. Uh, Dr. Paul Dorsey calls it the mortality mystery. He writes a weekly article for a website that I've long been a fan of, electoral-vote.com. Uh, fans of my political novel from 2004 uh, may recognise that I got a lot of the research reading this website way back then, 16 years ago. The, the hosts of this at one point said that they didn't think that COVID-19 was actually going to have an impact on the election. They very quickly changed their mind and they run a weekly article from uh, Dr. Paul Dorsey uh, out of New Jersey. Uh, he has identified similarly that mortality rate decreasing. He's put up a few examples of why this might be. Uh, he doesn't have an answer. He's not uh, actively arguing for one over the other, uh, ranging from the fact that the disease may actually have mutated into a less uh, virulent, you know, it can be more contagious, but less fatal. Uh, it's one of the things with a disease like Ebola, for example, that it is very, very highly fatal. If you catch it, uh, the mortality rate is quite high. As a result, it is less contagious. But a disease that kills its host very quickly doesn't get a chance to spread. And so it's possible that the accelerating spread of COVID-19 is linked to a mutation that made it more contagious, but less fatal. Of course, doctors are much more familiar with this disease now than they were back in February, March. So it may be that we're getting better at treating it. Uh, we're getting better at testing it, identifying results early. Uh, you know, populations may be looking after themselves better. Uh, it could also be that the people who are getting sick are different. So people who have comorbidities, who are elderly, who are at a higher risk of dying from the disease are being more cautious. You look at overall cases going through the roof, but it may be that those cases are largely among younger people who have a lower fatality rate as normal. Uh, and of course, it could be some combination of all of those. Uh, and it could just be that the people most likely to die from COVID-19 are already dead.
again, I look at this from a business, from a statistical perspective, without wanting to downplay the individual impact of having this disease that some of my friends have, or of course, dying from the disease, as now hundreds of thousands of people have around the world. So active cases continue to accelerate. Uh, they're flat in some cases, second wave in others, accelerating in some countries. So what? So what does that mean for your business? Well, remember, active COVID-19 cases is a lead indicator. You have to ask yourself, based on that data today, what does that mean? If that trend continues into August and beyond, what will happen next? What impact will that have on my small and medium-sized business? Uh, there's four factors that are relevant to, okay, how does active COVID-19 cases impact my business? There's the direct impact. If your business has, is, or is likely to be shut down or go through some forced capacity constraints as a result of this disease. So in Melbourne, which has now gone into stage four lockdown, there are many businesses like cafes and restaurants, retail stores that were almost fully open for business as active cases was accelerating upwards in July. Ford forecast, they could have seen and forecast that lockdowns were coming and planned accordingly. Not a lot you can do in those situations, but at least if you can see it coming, you can pre-order less food, let the staff know, maintain your cash position and so on. Outside of the direct impact, ask yourself, what impact will this have on demand from my customers and clients? Are your customers directly affected? If you sell food into restaurants in Melbourne, your customers have been locked down. They're not able to sell. You're not going to be able to sell to them. Of course, your customers may be indirectly affected, which can be harder to measure. Uh, again, continue talking to your customers, to your clients, even if you're not able to sell them, not able to deliver the work, keep those relationships going. And that's how you're going to get a feel for some of these like, indirect concerns uh, because of general fear. I again, mentioned in a previous economic snapshot how my family were looking at doing a bit of a road trip, a holiday. We are travellers. We spent a lot of last year overseas, not so 2020. As the news came out of Victoria, we, we pared back our plans. We did end up going away for a, a few nights, but we went from a two-week holiday to a four-night staycation uh, not too far from home. We spent a lot less money, and that, of course, is money that then did not go into other businesses, not because there were active cases that we were close to, just because we were concerned about what was happening, uh, and we let that fear impact some of our decisions. Supply side, so demand side your customers. Supply side is your ability to sell or uh, others' ability to provide you with the tools that you need. Uh, are your staff affected? That can be physically, it could just be emotionally. Uh, if your staff aren't willing to come to work, they're going to only work from home or they're not willing to do their shifts, then uh, even if the demand is there from your customers, you may not be able to supply it. That's going to have an impact on your business. And from an external perspective, your business may be fine, but maybe your suppliers who are unable to provide the tools that you need, um, the materials, the equipment. Uh, I saw a statistic from Jason Murphy, great uh, economics writer in Australia, talking about something like a third of Australia's food is produced in Victoria, despite it being the smallest mainland state. And so uh, there may be a situation if the lockdown there doesn't have the desired effect rapidly, where food chains across Australia are impacted. You might have a restaurant in Queensland, which is uh, largely unaffected, 
but you may not be able to sell your signature meal because you can't get the food out of Victoria. That's a supply side issue. Uh, it's one of uh, the common causes of an L-shaped recession, which we've been talking about, which we'll get onto a little bit. So relevance of active COVID-19 cases to your business, does it have a direct impact on you? Is it going to affect demand? Is it going to affect supply directly or indirectly? And what can you do because of that now that you can see a little bit into the future? The second lead indicator, and we're not going to spend as much time on all four of these, the lead indicators definitely get uh, more time and attention because they're more useful for helping you to make decisions. Share market performance over the month of July. I'm going to work on the basis that movements either way of less than 10% are noise, not news. So in that regard, July was a largely uneventful month. If you just look at July, it was fairly flat. I do note that the FTSE, which is represented in blue in that chart, is down harder than the others, than the US and the Australian stock markets. Whether that's just the announcement last week about the restrictions continuing in the UK, not easing, uh, whether it's some underlying Brexit concerns, uh, which as a UK citizen is still something that I'm angry about, frankly. Um, whether that's just noise, all kind of remains to be seen. Uh, but we're monitoring it, we're keeping an eye on it, uh, largely flat through the month of July. The relevance to your business of the stock market in your country and some of those larger countries like the US. So far in 2020, local share markets have offered about a one-month advance guidance for the general economy. That's not as helpful as it was during the Great Recession where we were using uh, about a six-month guide when the markets were starting to pick up. That was giving us almost six months' notice of the general economy picking up, which was fantastic for planning and making decisions as a business owner. We've got less time at the moment, but we still have some of that lead indicator. So if markets are roughly flat in July, that suggests that your business conditions will be largely the same in August as they were in July. So that one month indicator. So whatever they were in July for you, going to be largely the same in August. I hope that's good news. At any event, it does remind me of another piece of my favourite advice. The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy is a wholly remarkable book. Unemployment rates, the third of our fourth indicators. Uh, the UK was flat for the third consecutive month, 3.9%. Uh, the US came down still over 11%. Uh, Australia was up slightly, 7.4% for June. The UK, uh, remember, uh, reports this data way, way behind those other countries. So uh, we're still only getting May's data, uh, and uh, you know, uh, whereas the US and Australia are both giving us June data there. The UK test is really coming roundabout now, which is when the furlough program changes. It started changing and increasingly over the next few months, it's going to change. There are currently 9.5 million people employed in the UK who are benefiting from the furlough program. What the gradual changes are doing there is starting to put more onus on the employers. So initially, employers could furlough, stand down their employees. The employees would get up to 80% of their paycheck, up to £2,500 a month, I believe, uh, to you know, basically go on gardening leave, sit at home. Uh, that made it very, very easy for businesses that were shut down or were quieter. They didn't lose those good staff. They didn't have to fund those good staff. Those good staff didn't show up on unemployment numbers. Now employers are going to have to start funding some of those salaries. 
Uh, they could bring those employees back into part-time work, which we look at the JobKeeper program in Australia where you kept people productive, makes a lot more sense for me. Um, you can bring them back into work. Uh, you can continue to have them stood down, but it's going to cost you money now. Initially, just some of the national insurance contributions, uh, increasingly a percentage of the wage. And so that no-brainer kind of decision, I don't have any money coming in, but I don't have to lose my staff, furlough them, becomes much more challenging if you still have no revenue coming in. You've got to start putting your money in your pocket. Now, there's still an incentive program in January if you keep employees employed through this period. Uh, so there is still some financial incentive, even if you don't have work for people to uh, keep them engaged. And obviously, if you do see this as a temporary blip, particularly if your business is largely impacted by lockdown restrictions and not something wider that's going on economically, uh, there's a lot of benefits in keeping those good staff loyal, committed, connected with your business. However, for a lot of those zombie businesses that are really shut down, but not because of the government stimulus packages, if the Treasury doesn't prolong the scheme, then they're going to have to start shutting down businesses. They're going to have to start laying off staff officially. Uh, and we expect that UK number to spike. Uh, the US was down uh, as forecast, as I talked about in the last of these videos at the end of June. Um, continued lockdown easing, whether you think that's sensible or not, means more people going back to work. Summer is often easier to find. Uh, seasonal work, short-term casual employment in some states of the US. Of course, with 12 million people more out of work in June than in February, even though it's some good news, it's not good news. It's trending in the right direction, but, uh, and, and even through July, we've started to see new unemployment figures start to spike again. Some of that seasonality will come off. And as that disease accelerates, there will need to be more lockdowns and more impact in terms of demand and supply. So I'm not gonna try and make a forecast, as to where the US unemployment figures will go, but uh, it's fair to say we will be monitoring them closely and I don't expect that they're going to continue to trend downwards in big jumps. Uh, Australia, Australian unemployment was up from 7.1% in May to 7.4% unemployment in June. Um, again, some positive news if you dig through the data, underemployment, underutilisation were both down for the month. So even though unemployment went up, underemployment went down. What that means is that the participation rate in the labour pool in Australia was up for the month. So that means that some people who maybe lost their jobs or weren't working when the, the COVID-19 pandemic first hit, uh, and they just checked out of the system and sort of went, look, I'm just going to sit on my hands for six months, not claim any benefits, not actively go looking for work. Um, they don't show up as unemployed in the data. When you go through all of the numbers that came out for June, a lot of those people are coming back into the market. So unemployment is up, but part of that is more people are uh, feeling positive enough to start actively looking for work. So when people are more confident about their job prospects, then uh, you know they step back into the pool, unemployment can go up, uh, even though there may be more hours being worked overall. And again, you know, break that down into the different states. Here in Queensland, uh, unemployment rate actually went down slightly in the month of June. So despite all of the, the chaos that's going on nationally, on a local scale, it can be quite different. That's why I encourage you, whatever state you're in, whatever country you're in, look at some of these numbers for yourself or ask me to include them in our future updates. The relevance to your business of unemployment rates. Now, unemployment rates 
is a slight lag indicator of the economy, particularly when you look at the UK and they don't tell us for months exactly what was going on. So, uh, you know, knowing that there were 7%, 4%, 11% of people unemployed last month, uh, you know, it's a lag indicator of how the economy was last month. However, it can be a lead indicator of confidence. Business confidence, consumer confidence, uh, pick your target market, your customers. So when people hear about last month's unemployment rising, they are more likely to behave cautiously this month and next month. When they hear that unemployment is declining, they uh, may feel more positive, they're more likely to spend money, and they have more confidence. And remember, of course, that every dollar they spend is a dollar that another business earns. And so confidence leads to spending, leads to more money floating around the economy. Uh, so keep a, a, a track on those, even though directly they're a lag indicator of the economy, they can be a lead indicator of confidence for your customers and therefore for your business. Uh, keen to hear from any of my UK viewers about this data versus the reality of what's going on in your business. Uh, having unemployment flat below 4% in the UK for three consecutive months. Um, if that was coming out of like China or Russia or something like that, we would just not believe it at all. Uh, so I am keen to hear uh, what's the reality you're seeing on the ground about business confidence, consumer confidence, and, and how uh, businesses are going across the UK. The last indicator that we look at, GDP growth. Uh, so, uh, so far for the June quarter, only the US has uh, published their data. Uh, got some dates there. We'll hear from the UK on the 12th of August. We'll get Australia's final numbers on the 4th of September. Uh, now, the UK, you possibly saw the headline news, 32.9% contraction. Like the economy contracted by a third. It's an important distinction, which I've now added onto the chart. The UK and the USA report GDP growth figures on an annualised basis. It's not quite as simple as taking the quarterly number and multiplying by four, but that kind of gives you an idea of, of roughly where it's at. Whereas Australia reports GDP growth numbers for the actual quarter. So if you look at the March quarter where we have all of those figures, the UK uh, declined by 2.2%, the US contracted by 5%, Australia contracted by 0.3%, but the Australia figure was just for the quarter, whereas the US and the UK were annualized so the actual quarter numbers, apples to apples comparison, it's not what we've been tracking. It's uh, not the easiest data to pull out because it's often these headline figures that are used, um, but it's not an apple. You can't look at the Australia at negative 0.3% and think we did so much better than the US at negative 5% because you're not quite comparing apples to apples. Again, not as simple as dividing that US number by four, but if you were to do that, you're 1.25% compared to 0.3%. Uh, again, still not quite apples and apples, but you get a much uh, closer indication of the relative impact. So negative uh, 32% doesn't mean that a third of the US economy disappeared. The next quarter, remember we've been talking about how the recession is over, March, June, two consecutive quarters, because June was going to be, now we're getting the data, it was so bad, the September quarter will almost have to rebound. It can't be that bad two quarters in a row. Uh, and so you'll actually probably see headline figures out of the US that are like, the economy grew by 15%. No, it didn't. Uh, it just contracted a heap. Uh, some of that came back. Uh, and even if you were excited by that, 
Um, minus 32 plus 15 doesn't get you back to zero, certainly doesn't get you growth. So uh, in actual fact, if we look at the forecasts for UK, US and Australia, they're all forecasting, uh, you know, some of the averages uh, that, uh, that I collate and read, they're all forecasting the September quarter to be the highest quarter of GDP growth in history. But that's off the back of one of the worst quarters for GDP growth in history. Uh, you really do, and that's what they try and do by annualizing the figures. You need to look at it on an annual basis. It's just when you annualize instead of an actual annual figure, uh, you, you are prone to extremities, and this is some of the most extreme economic conditions that we have ever seen. So the technical recession may be over in September. Uh, we're still to get the figures for the UK and Australia about exactly how bad it was last month. This is a lag indicator, not a lead indicator. Um, even though the technical recession is over, even though we're now in the greatest quarter of GDP growth in history, it's not going to feel like that. The recession is still chugging along. It's still lingering. And so what's the relevance to your business? What's the relevance of GDP growth or lack thereof to your business? It can affect confidence and future investments even though it is more an indication of the spending that has already happened or not happened. Remember, if governments, if large corporations stop spending, they stop investing, then that will flow through to SMEs eventually, either because you sell up the food chain into those large entities or because your customers work for those large entities or work for organisations that sell into those large entities. So the trickle-down effect can start to come, and it may be that Overall, GDP growth uh, was way down. You were fairly flat because you'll feel that in the subsequent quarter. And if you stop investing in your business, that will show up eventually as well. Which brings us to the final section of this monthly economic snapshot, uh, a review of where we are in this recession and what that means for your investments and your business. Conversation we've been having since April, almost since we started the Don't Waste a Good Recession program. It's what's the shape of this recession? Uh, to make it simple, I've largely focused on the two options, the V-shaped recession, which bounce, bounces back quickly, the L-shaped recession, which drags along a little bit at the bottom. I've been saying since the beginning, this won't be a V-shaped recession. We're looking at an L-shaped recession. Economists, the dismal scientists that they are, they're finding a lot of different ways to avoid calling it a prolonged L shape. Some of the worst recessions, Japan's lost score 20 years in the wilderness economically, Greece since the global financial crisis, those are L shaped recessions, but where the, the bottom of the L has dragged on and on and on and on. And so to a degree, economists don't want to think that that's what they're forecasting or they don't want people fearing that that's what's going to happen. They're finding a lot of different ways to describe the phenomenon without having to call it an L. I heard it, the reverse swoosh. I, I, I don't know what Nike think of a recession being described as a reverse swoosh. I guess we just didn't do it, and that's showing up in our figures. Uh, the U-shape, a lot of uh, people talk about, that's not one of the options. Go back to the early videos, I talk in detail about how uh, a U-shape is just hedging your bets. And if you look at the L, you look at the actual economy in those arrows, it does pick up, that's a U-shape. But calling it a U-shape, like that doesn't really help. Whereas if we know it's an L, it's going to be an L. We know there's not going to be a quick bounce back. Then we can, as business owners, make decisions about what we do in a timely way and what we have time to do to build our new business. So what does an L-shaped recession look like? Where are we at the moment? It's faster, it's bigger, it's longer. 
exactly what we've been saying all along. Supply side availability reduces. Uh, it is often impacted. I was uh, at a board meeting yesterday with a client. Uh, one of their products uses batteries. Their battery supplier can't get batteries into the country at the moment. They're having to change uh, the type of batteries that they're using. It's a small uh, margin that's, that's going to impact them. It's not huge in their business, but if you were a battery wholesaler and you literally couldn't get your product into the country uh, or that brand of product into the country, even that's going to have a massive impact on your business. Even if people are demanding it, even if people want to buy that product, you can't get the supply. Uh, we bought a dishwasher. Our dishwasher died. Uh, we went into one of the big electrical retailers, did a lot of the research uh, to, to buy a dishwasher. And our decision came down to, well, here's two that we're looking at. They have three of this one in stock. They have none of this one in stock. And it's at least eight weeks before they expect to get any more off a boat. So we bought that one. Uh, you know, what impact that had on their business, not so much. If they'd had none of either, we would have gone somewhere else uh, or perhaps not bought a dishwasher at all. So that's what supply side uh, availability, lack of availability does. Uh, even if demand recovers from the recession, supply side often takes a little bit longer and that's how we can drag it on. We started this recession, Q1 of 2020, most part, a couple of countries, Germany, South Africa, UK was flat, you know, we're kind of coming into it already before COVID showed up. Um, the L-shaped recession means a bit longer down the bottom. It's no quick bounce back. We are there. Uh, in the bottom. That means you have time. You have time to execute your plans. The time to build your plans is right now. If you are not asking yourself how my business is going to look at the end of this recession, then you are missing opportunities. If you're sitting on your hands waiting for things to change, then you will be behind, 12 to 18 months behind some of your competitors or your customers when the time comes and things do change. Why don't businesses think more uh, strategically at this time? Well, it's this other aspect of looking at the recession, the economic cycle emotionally. And in a downturn, we go through anxiety, denial, um, which maybe in some parts of the US is still going on, fear, uh, all the way down to the very bottom of a recession where we have uh, some capitulation, despondency, depression, uh, all of these things kind of kick in. Um, we are not, particularly in Australia and my clients, which I recognise is a bit of a bubble because my clients are doing pretty well. They've got a very good looking business coach. You know, my experience, my economy, my clients is that we're barely halfway down that curve as a, a wider economy. There's definitely fear. There's some desperation going on. But we are not at the bottom of this recession. We are not about to pick things up. There is, on an emotional level, worse to come. Again, how are you factoring that into your business decision? How are you communicating that to your staff? And how are you responding to those normal feelings that may be going on for you? The last where are we slide is uh, the domino slide from uh, my Cornerstone videos on how a recession typically progresses. Um, coronavirus recession, like every recession, is different. Um, broadly, we are, again, about halfway through. The tertiary network effects of the recession are kicking in. We are yet to see the big negative multiplier effects, um, wide-scale unemployment due to the underlying economic situation as opposed to due to pandemic lockdowns, uh, some of the wider lack of spending, lack of capital available that we see late in a recession. So 
all three of these indicators, the L shape, the emotional cycle, and the domino, how a recession typically progresses, are pointing to the fact that we're, we're in the middle of a recession, but we are certainly not halfway out the other side just yet. What relevance does that have on your business? Remind yourself, this is a marathon, not a sprint. There is no going back to normal. It's what is the other side going to look like? And that question for you, how do I want my business to look in 12 months time, in 18 months time? The only two timeframes that matter in business are 20 years, what's your long-term vision, and 90 days, what are you doing now and over the next three months to impact your business in a positive way? Asking yourself that 12 or 18 months question then has to lead to the, what am I doing in the next 90 days to prepare for that? Because the investment you make has to be made at the point of power. It has to be made in the present. It has to be made today. If you're waiting 12 or 18 months, you're going to miss those opportunities. That is the economic snapshot for the month of July 2020. I am Jacob Aldridge from Don't Waste a Good Recession. You want more? Obviously, keep sharing, keep looking, keep subscribing. Uh, we've got the Facebook group. You can subscribe on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your sources of great economic content. If you like this video, share this video, comment on this video and tell your friends, then that helps spread the positive and practical message. And if you want to make sure that you get all of the information, join the weekly Don't Waste a Good Recession mailing list on my website at jacobaldridge.com. If you want to have a specific conversation about how all of these economic indicators relate to you in your market, your environment, and specifically for your business and the strategic decisions you need to make in your organization. I've worked with more than 300 businesses in 12 countries around the world, wherever you are and may be tuning in. I'd love to have a virtual coffee. We'll keep the social distancing, but we'll keep the strategic decision-making positive.